33. That's, that's the commonly accepted um, figure. It's actually not mentioned at all in the Bible. Um, we, we sort of infer he was 33 because we know he started his ministry at 30 and the Bible's got three times when he goes to Jerusalem. I don't know what we can take of it, but in John 8 they say you're not yet 50, um, which kind of suggests he's 40-something. Who knows? One of those things we're not told. No. <laughs> but if you came to me and said you're not 50 yet, Nick, that's, that's kind of, we'll ask him one day. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, ageless before time, who came to save us, lost in time. Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself again to us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our ears that we might see truthfully what it is to be followers of Jesus Christ in this day and in this age. Lord, would you use me to speak your word this morning? Amen. On the front of the bulletin this week, uh, you'll see I've got some pictures of some classical statues. Uh, If you don't have a bulletin, grab one from your next door neighbour or or at the back there. And the reason, these are statues being worked on by Michelangelo. Um, they were commissioned, I think, for the, uh, for the tomb of Pope Julius the something or other. Um, he had the uh, temerity to die before they were finished. So Michelangelo said, well, I'm not going to bother finishing these statues. But the reason I've got them on the front of there is it's just fascinating seeing a half-completed statue. Sort of half in the rock, half out of the rock. And you've got this... Like, like a limb stretching out. It, it, it almost looks like, like these figures are, are trying to break free from the rock, like, like they're trying to escape from the, the prison of the stone. And I look at these pictures and I, and I see in them a, a symbolism of the very human longing that I think we have to be free, to, to step out of, of that which confines us. Well, freedom is a funny thing. It's, it's one of those things that we cherish, that we love, that we, we're all in favour of. Uh, we fight wars over freedom. We, we complain when countries um, have poor human rights records because it's a, 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 an abuse of human freedoms. Uh, uh, as we heard in the story, the, the national anthem of our country is Australians all let us rejoice for we are young and we are free. Come to us. We're the lucky country. We're the free country. What do we mean when we say that we are free? Do we mean that, that we are able to control our own destiny? That, that there's nobody who can push us around? That, that we can live the li- our, our lives the way we want to live our lives? That, that we can choose to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do, however we want to do it? I love living in a free country. Isn't it great that we can actually come together here and, and worship God freely and, and nobody's going to stand at the door writing down your license plate of your car? But this morning, I think what God wants to suggest to us is that 
The only people who can really celebrate and sing, let us rejoice for we are free, are us. Christians, people here who follow Jesus. Because the freedom that the world offers, that the world cherishes and loves so much is, is really only skin deep and, and true freedom stretches into eternity forever and ever. True freedom lasts forever. So this week we're, we're looking at a, a new series, just a mini-series, at, at what it means to be free, what it means to be followers of the free maker. And we've got here in John chapter 8, from about verse 12, Jesus in Jerusalem, in the temple, uh, in the treasury area, and he's speaking to the people and he's telling them all about who he is and why he comes. Uh, Verse 12 he says, look, I'm the light of the world. And and he goes on and he speaks about uh, how he is um, the the word uh, and and how he's come from the Father and how he's come to be the saviour of the people. And we see this most brilliant verse, verse 30. I'm going to read you, I've got the New Living Bible today, so if you want to follow along, feel free. It might be a little bit different from your NIV, if that's what you got. Verse 30, many who heard him say these things, many of the people who who heard Jesus explaining who he was, believed in him. Many put their faith in him. And isn't it wonderful, this this incarnate Word of God explaining Himself to the people and the people saying, yes, I want to do that. I want to follow that. Brilliant verse. This is such an interesting chapter. Because the same people who in verse 30 say, I believe in you, Jesus. By verse 59, the same people are picking up stones to try and kill Jesus. And in fact, in verse 37, Jesus already says, some of you are trying to kill me. Some of you who say you believe in me are are out to murder me. And I think this is an interesting passage because get ready the stakes and the fire burn the heretic. This passage seems to say that believing in Jesus isn't enough. You worried yet? It sounds wrong. It sounds wrong to my ears as I say it. I mean, we've got this this long tradition, the, the reformers in the 1600s, 1700s, whatever, they, they, they came up with this thing, sola fide, faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says we are saved by grace through faith. We, we've, we, we've got this idea that, that in order to be Christians, in order to be saved, all we have to do is to say, I believe in you, Jesus, and it's a done deal, and we can then get on with our lives. What does Jesus say? Jesus says to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. What was the NIV version? Can you read that out again for us? John, have you got the NIV? Just verse 31. Terrible. 
Just verse 31. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. The New Living, if you are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings. The, the English Standard Version, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Being a Christian, is, as Jesus seems to be saying, is, is being a disciple of His is, is about more than just saying, yep, I believe in God. I mean, that's not real faith in the Gospels. We just read it and, and the demons and Satan himself come up and say, you are the Son of God. I wouldn't call them disciples of Jesus. I mean, a disciple is one who, who follows. A disciple of Jesus, a Christian, is one who follows Jesus, who is faithful to Jesus' teachings, who abides in His Word, who sets his whole or her whole life uh, in the light of the light of the Word to become flesh, in whom we have seen the glory of God the Father. I don't know how many of you are Facebook fanatics. I've got a Facebook account. Uh, I've got some friends on there. I've never met them, I don't think. <laughs> the way Facebook works, you, you send a friend request to somebody and it says, do you know blah de blah de blah And you say, yes, I know this person. I'm friends with that person. But I think most Facebook people have, have friends who they've never met or, or friends that they have met once. Uh, that's, that's not friendship. Uh, friendship is a real relationship. And, and in the same way, we can't just tick a box and say, confirm, I believe in Jesus. It doesn't make us a disciple. Believing in Jesus is, is about having a relationship with Him. It's, it's about being His friend. <laughs> and so Jesus comes to the, to the people who in verse 30 have said, yes, confirm, Jesus, I believe. And he says in verse 31, he challenges them, abide in me. Abide in my word. Stay faithful to my teachings. And he promises them in verse 32 that, that, it, that if we orient our lives around about him, about the word, about the truth incarnate, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Isn't that a brilliant verse? Let me read it for you. Um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Brilliant, brilliant truth. Let's follow the story of what happens a little bit. Jesus challenges the people and says, look, you've you got you to change your life. You've got to orient yourselves around about me. You've got to be a disciple of me. You've got to put your faith into action. And immediately the people have got a problem with him. And yes, okay, yes, Jesus, we believe in you, but this, this business that you've got that, that we need to be set free, what are you on about? That, this doesn't sit comfortably with us. Because as far as the people were concerned, they didn't need to be set free. Verse 33, they say, but we are the descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will need to be set free? You will be set free. A couple of weeks ago, Lloyd Porter spoke to us about uh, Jacob and Esau and, 
and this idea of, of God choosing Jacob to be the heir of the promises that he had given to Abraham. And, and throughout Israel's history, they had really hung on tight to this promise that God has given through to Abraham. And, and they said, look, yes, we've been slaves. We, we were in slavery in Egypt until Moses came and and we were taken into slavery in Assyria and Babylonia and, and the Romans right now, Jesus, to all respects and purposes, we are slaves. But, but we can honestly say that through all of our history, we are not slaves because we are descendants of Abraham. We have been true to ourselves. Nobody has broken us. We are God's people. And God promised to bless Abraham and so he's got to bless us too. We deserve it. I'll show you my genealogy. Listen to Jesus' answer, verse 34. Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. tell you the truth, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Just one sentence and Jesus levels the playing field. He says, yeah, you think you're, you're fancy because you're descendants of Abraham and, and you're not a pagan like the people outside, but brother and sister, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. They're in the same boat. Anyone whose life does not match up to to the holiness and perfection and righteousness of God Almighty, they're in trouble. They're a slave to sin. Maybe I can compare this this slave to sin thing to a seatbelt pretensioner. Now, somebody who knows about cars is probably going to pipe up and say that's not a pretensioner, that's a dongle wongle, whatever. You know the thing on your seatbelt that when you have a crash, it locks the seatbelt in place and holds you onto your chair? Well, can we say that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, humanity crashed into sin and sin locked the seatbelt onto us? Stuck in that chair. You know, as a child I used to have great fun, much to my parents' annoyance, of trying to get the seatbelt to lock. Um, you know, you go, until ah, ah, it locks. I was a very, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about, about the seatbelt is that once it's tensioned, it only goes one way. It has to go all the way back. And I remember a few times you sort of tension it up and you tension it up and you tension it up and you're stuck. When Adam and Eve locked the seatbelt in place, the pretensioner fired, but it says, Jesus, everyone who sins is a slave to sin and, and every time we sin, we just lock ourselves tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Well, the, the real problem is that there's no button we can push to release the seatbelt. And the Jewish people said to Jesus, well, well, well look about Abraham. Abraham was, was declared righteous by God. God released Abraham from this, from this, uh, this binding, this, this, this belt of sin. 
you were set free. And, and, if, and if Abraham was set free, then surely we are free as well. Did you see what a stupid argument that is? Just because one person is set free doesn't mean that you are set free. And Jesus answers them in verse 37 and he says, Look, I, I know your history. I, I know your genealogy. Come on, folks. I know that you want to claim Abraham's status. I know that you, you think that because he was declared righteous by God that you must be righteous. But that's not how it works. Look at what you're doing. You're out to kill me. You're out to murder me. There's no room in your heart for my message. You, you claim Abraham, but verse 37, if you were really Abraham's children, wouldn't you be following his example? Wouldn't you be doing the sort of things that Abraham did? Would Abraham, when he came and saw me, a, a person speaking the truth from God, God himself speaking the truth, would Abraham want to murder me? Of course not. You're not following Abraham. The, the, the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. You are following your true father. In verse 41, they turn on him and they say, Right, ha, let's forget Abraham. You want to talk real fathers? Our father, God, sorted. And Jesus points out what a, what a self-defeating argument that is. Because if, if they don't love the one sent from God, if they don't love the Son of God, how can they claim to love God and how can they claim to be God's children if they hate the very person that comes from God? In verse 43, Jesus asks them this rhetorical question, I think. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. These people who at first said we believe in you are so wrapped up in their, in their own self-righteousness and their own pride and their own genealogy and, and, and thinking that they've got it made and that they don't need to be set free that, that the idea that Jesus says the truth will set you free is it's like a Talent think to them. It's like water off a duck's back. They, they just can't take it in. And I think the tone changes at about verse 44 and, and Jesus just lays out some plain speaking to them. He says, right, it's laid on the line. Your dad's the devil, a murderer, the father of lies. He's a liar. You're a liar. You're trying to murder me. I come in truth. You don't believe me. If you think me a sinner, prove it. You see the shift from the start? Those who, who started off verse 30 saying, yeah, we believe in you, Jesus. Coming down to verse, what's that, 44, 45 onwards and saying, I think you're a liar. We think you're a sinner. They don't want to hear what Jesus says. They don't want to hear what God says about needing to be set free because, says Jesus, they don't belong to God. They belong to the devil.
I suspect it would be a common experience if you said to somebody, you belong to the devil, that they would react with joy and lightness and happiness of spirit, even if it is the truth. (laughs) And they turn on Jesus and verse 48, and, and they say, you Samaritan. And Samaritans to them were were the dregs of society. They they were, um, if if I may use a phrase from American history, it would be like an American white person calling a black person a nigger. You Samaritan. You demon-possessed man. Say, we've got a devil. Say, Say, we follow the devil. You're a devil. Isn't that childish? Terrible. And again, Jesus turns to them and, and, and just with such incredible patience, he says, look, look, you've got it wrong. You claim that you're trying to honor God, but, but, but if you're throwing mud at me, you're really throwing mud at God because I come from God, I am God. And, and what you're doing by refusing my offer of freedom, my, my offer of knowing the truth, but what you're doing by refusing this, by refusing to live a life of faith, by, by refusing to abide in my teachings, what you're doing, verse 51, is you're refusing freedom from death. Take a look at, at chapter 8, verse 51. I tell you the truth, truly, truly, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die, but you refuse to obey my teaching. And again, they throw it back in his face. Who do you think you are? And as Reg read, if I want to glorify, if I want glorify myself, it doesn't count, but it is my Father who will glorify me. You say, He is our God. But you don't even know Him. I know Him. If, if, if I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you are. But, but I do know God and I do obey Him. Your Father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it. He was glad. You see what Jesus has done there? He started off at the beginning. He says, if you remain faithful faithful to my teaching, uh, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, verse 51, you will never die if you are faithful to my teachings. Verse 56, just like your father, Abraham, is alive right now. I think what Jesus is pointing out is that, that even Abraham's righteousness, his being set free from sin was because of his faith. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says exactly that. Abraham was set free because he looked forward to the day of Jesus. And that same, well, just think of the story of Abraham. He, he obeyed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that same life of faithfulness, of obedience to the teaching of, of Jesus Christ That's what Jesus is calling for from all those who would say, we believe in you. That that offer of freedom 
and life and knowing the truth is, is there for, for all who would believe in Jesus. Not just in an intellectual sense, I believe in you, but, but in, a, in, in a daily sense of, I believe in you and that has altered my whole life. Because you see, being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian is, is about a life of faithfulness. Jesus demands that, that we remain faithful to him. You can't just pay lip service to him. I mean, true faith is, is about going from slavery to sin and death to, to slavery to God himself. I mean, there's, there's a letter that, that, that John receives from Jesus in Revelation to the church at Laodicea and and Jesus says to the church there, I, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm and you better watch out because I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm faith, this, this kind of faith that says I believe, but let's leave it at that. That's a parody of faith. What about today? What about people maybe outside the church, maybe connected to the church in some some or other way? I suspect that a lot of people today would be very happy to, to accept Jesus as a good man. Maybe quite a few people would actually be willing to say, yeah, I believe. Might even, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. But I wonder whether many of those people wouldn't balk at the idea that Jesus is the only way to freedom, the only way to life, the only way to, to know the truth. The, I wonder how many people would balk at the very idea that they need to be set free. Free from what? We've got the good life. And us sitting here today, um, back in two centuries ago, there was an evangelist, uh, Dwight Moody, uh, in America mostly, and he said, there are very few who in their hearts do not believe in God, speaking of Christians, but what they will not do is give him exclusive right of way. They're not ready to promise full allegiance to God alone. Many a professing Christian is a stumbling block because their worship is divided on Sunday. They worship God on weekdays. God's got little or no place in their thoughts. Intellectual belief is not enough. But when we put our faith in Jesus and, and real faith, like Jesus is describing, it's, it's all of us. For all of our time. For all of our lives. For all of the things that we do. For, for all of our relationships. For, for just everything that makes us us. Jesus says, if you are my children, you will obey my teachings, not just when you feel like it, not just when it feels comfortable, not just when you agree with what I'm saying. Just follow me. My brothers and sisters, Jesus comes to us and calls us in verse 31 and he says, Great, you're believing in me. Now follow me.
What about that verse 34? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus says, follow me. Stay true to my teachings. Stay faithful to my teachings. By the way, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. What hope is there for any of us? Maybe verse 35. A slave, says Jesus, doesn't have a permanent place in the house. He can be sold at any time. But the son, a son, the son, he's got a permanent place in the house. You know what? If the son decides that he's going to set a slave free, that person is free. Verse 36, you're right. It's a brilliant verse. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. We've got to read those two verses. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Remember that one. Important, great verse. And then straight away say, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I mean, the, the picture in the bulletin of these statues, they, they can't escape there by themselves. They're stuck in that rock. They, they need a, a master's craftsman hand to, 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 to take them out of the rock. And in the same way, we need, we need the master's hand to lift us out of, of the rock of our sin. And so that means, of course, that, that if we are true Christians, we will no longer sin. Ever. We'll be perfect, won't we? Just don't come and look at my house. And I won't look at your life. (laughs) I don't think Jesus says that when we follow him and abide in his word, that all of a sudden we'll stop being sinners. That that all of the habits of a sinful life will snap and be gone. I think experience teaches us that that's not the case. But it does mean that, that the direction of our life has changed and that this, the power of sin, the more and the more we, we abide in His Word, the more we live a life of faithfulness, the more God's Spirit is at work in us and, and the less and less power that sin has over our lives. You, you know a, a, a big jumbo jet, 747, that thing should never get up into the air. Put a couple of hundred passengers in there. If you like me, that thing's heavy. Power of gravity is too strong. It's not going to lift it up. You put on the engines, the power of the engines, and you have the force of aerodynamics, and, and that aeroplane soars, and that aeroplane flies. It defies gravity. You know, the power of the risen Jesus and the law of the cross. Much greater than the gravity of sin. Much greater. Does that mean that, that, that this side of Jesus' return where we're immune from, from the gravity of sin? Of course not.
But you know what the great news, the story of grace is that that Jesus is taking us to a place where we will be in free fall. Not taking us to a place, he's changing us to be a people where the force of sin is, is just nothing. And when he returns, he's going he's gonna to do some smiting of sin. The, the concept of sin will be a weird idea. And then, we will sing, God's people all let us rejoice, for we are free. That's going to be marvellous.